Krista and Matt, thank you for being here. Uh, we are talking about Canadian cannabis, what's next? And this, I want to talk to you about the current and future state of affairs as it relates to cannabis retail in Canada. Are you both ready to be peppered with questions? Yeah. <laughs> I think more than normal because I got a whole list of them here. So uh, I feel like I should have had a second coffee before. Uh, I think maybe a third or a fourth. Third. Let me set the groundwork and then we'll sort of get into it from both of your perspectives, both from like the, the legal perspective with your landscape, Matt, and, and as the sort of cannabis retail guru, Krista. Um, I, I could go through all the deals that have happened over the past year around cannabis retail. I think they all speak to consolidation, but we've had big players like Fire and Flower take over not tiny uh, uh, retail footprints of others. We've had uh, like the metas of the world and high tide sort of come together. We've even had uh, bigger players like a Chiaro take over like a mom and pop shop uh, and a number of those as well. Like it, it just seems relatively unsettled um, right now, especially in Ontario, but maybe other provinces too. I want to ask you, Krista, first, why do you think, why do you think I'm feeling like it's unsettled? I think your feelings of it being unsettled are completely valid. Um, we've seen major market shifts. Think about the number of stores that have been added into all of the markets across Canada. Think about the way that the product has evolved. Think about the way that the consumer has evolved in the last even six months totally different shifts. And so because of that, we also see businesses pivoting towards where they want to be going in the future. Every single one of these areas can impact those future decisions. So as long as there is movement, we're going to have kind of this feeling of it being a little unsettled. Yeah, I'm feeling unsettled. That's about cannabis retail in particular, not about <laughs> life or anything like that. Matt, from your lens, from a legal lens and sort of the work you do with cannabis retailers, sort of large and small, like are, are, are they feeling unsettled and am I wrong in this sort of unsettled feeling? No, I think Chris is right. I think you're, I think the unsettled feeling is um, normal or, you know, you're not, you're certainly not alone. Um, it, it could be a lot of reasons for it. You know, it might just be where we're at in sort of the life cycle and the industry cycle where we went from, you know, limited lottery stores to um, uh, kind of an easing into the ramp up on, on licensing as the AGCO sort of, you know, found their footing into sort of a full on explosion. And now, um, We've got hundreds of stores. I don't know where we're at, 700, 1,000. Um, I stopped checking, to be honest. Um, and I think the, the business side of it, you know, leaving aside the industry side, and it's like, it's a lottery and who got the license and who's opening a store and, and all these things. Now we're sort of, I feel like, into the business side of it where people are like, okay, I'm open. Um, now what? You know, how do I increase sales? How do I get a customer, a loyal customer base? Am I making money? If I'm not, what's the problem is, do I have a bad lease? Do I have a bad location? Am I just, could I be operating better? And when you combine that sort of trying to find your footing with, you know, larger chains with ambitions to grow, whether they're, you know, three and looking to get bigger or 30 and looking to get bigger, um, you have the dynamics for, you know, acquisitions and, and dispositions of stores at this time. Yeah, and, and we've obviously seen that uh, up and down. And, and I think all of our peer view is, is a lot on what's happening in Ontario, but, but it, it goes beyond that. And, and I wanna sort of ask a question about the, the, the relative geography because initially, obviously, Alberta had this huge lead on approving stores and had a number of stores and they saw consolidation and 
and even sort of contraction earlier. And I think uh, Ontario is the next wave of that, but then maybe BC as well. And Matt, I wanted to get your thought first, like, are we missing, uh, is our purview too narrow on Ontario? And, and is there, are we gonna see these waves first in Alberta, then in Ontario, then in BC? And are they gonna mimic themselves at least from sort of how, how you're viewing it? It's a good question. And I don't, I don't think any, any province will be the same. I think they'll all be a little bit different. I think just based on the size, you know, the, the size differences in the provinces, the differences in, you know, which ones came to market first and the way they came to market, you know, Alberta was very open very early and, and BC has, you know, for I guess multiple reasons had this sort of sluggish rollout you know everyone was expecting bc to rival ontario with its history and its and its you know legacy infrastructure and all those things and uh for a number of reasons it's just been slower than ontario so i think all those dynamics i think you'll see similar things in in each province uh, and you've seen it to, to varying degrees you know stores getting picked up stores closing um maybe as time goes on you know that'll ramp up in other provinces but i don't think they're ever going to sort of follow a nice consistent wave between them just because you know the different nuances in each province that, that make them different yeah chris i know you i think you just got back from some travel um uh west from your perspective is this going to be waves or is it going to be each market dynamic is different and it's sort of a natural maturation process I think that there's a combination of both going on. You've got waves because of the way that we have ramped up in every individual province. Um, and then you also have different market, I, I guess, aspects. One of the things that you want to consider is the regulatory body within those provinces. We are seeing mergers and acquisitions and consolidation even happening in places like Saskatchewan, Manitoba. So it isn't an only an Ontario thing or only Alberta or only BC. What these look like though are really impacted by kind of like the market features. And so within those markets, how dense are the stores? Where are the stores? And what is the definition of success becomes a really key or becomes a key factor in what the consolidation would potentially look like or can look like. If we make a consideration of Ontario, for example, um, mergers and acquisitions, and we're trying to figure out where to place stores to optimize how we wanna reach our individual customers. When we are thinking about BC, it could be so that we are looking and reducing our operating expenses. So there's a number of different factors that are happening kind of all at once and are not necessarily uh, one and of themselves in each province. Yeah, and Matt, does it does it change things from a legal perspective, I guess, as, as these operators are like figuring out how to become more efficient, how to, uh, I don't know, operate in this new environment and a more dense environment. And we've actually had this conversation a number of times uh, with the team at Torque and Mains, like how how important does that like first lease matter? Like the, the legal part of this is not unimportant. And I know I see Krista nodding as well. Like these things are important as you even sort of pre day one, open your doors, like understanding the market dynamics and what they could be is an important factor of how successful you can be as an operator, but also I guess even as attractive as you can be as a potential partner or acquisition or a merger, you know, either end of that dynamic. Like, are you, are you seeing that sort of dynamic as well at play? 
Oh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, when when people are looking to acquire a store, the first things typically they're asking to see are sales figures, depending on how how long the store has been open, and the lease. Um, because if you're taking over a store, um, you know, like everyone's a little bit different, and there's different factors, but everyone has to take that lease. And if you've got a really great lease, um, really favorable. Um, it can be quite attractive because regardless of what your sales figures are, the acquirer thinks, you know, with that sort of low overhead, they can do even better or at least maintain it. Whereas if, if you've got uh, an unfavorable lease, um, I've seen instances where people look at it and they say, we'll never be able to make money if we buy this. Um, it's just, there's too much overhead. The rent is too high and it keeps going up. And no, thank you. We're not interested. So yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, it's not surprising, but uh, people often don't pay a lot of attention or at least in the recent past, haven't paid a lot of attention uh, to the details of the lease and how important that could be, you know, because there's this great rush. And if I can get open, speed to market's more important than, you know, grinding the potential landlord and getting a few more bucks on the square footage. Um, and that's come back to bite a lot of people in, in not a great way. Yeah. And Krista, we're going to sit with you or you're going to present in a little bit sort of um, the operational part of that and how to prepare for that future. And, and I think uh, we'll, we'll, we won't ask you the same question because I want to, to give that, that clear air as well. Um, and I want to ask another question, um, and, and this to, to both of you, like how much does the current dynamic and the future dynamic, has it changed from even pre-COVID where like, you know, e-com was not a thing uh, in most places. Delivery was not a thing for private retailers in most places. The online footprint was important, but from a, only an audience acquisition to get them to your store component. Like, has that changed the dynamic so significantly over the past year that it will have major impacts moving forward? And um, I'll ask Matt, we'll ask Matt first. Um, look, I think so. I think um, the fact that you can do delivery, the fact that you can do curbside pickup. Um, I've talked to people who said, if I would have known we could have done delivery, I never would have leased as much square footage as I did. We wouldn't have finished the store the way we did. We would have had a completely different model. Um, so I think it depends. You know, certainly for some people, it's a big impact because you've got this these flagship stores where you you, you haven't been able to put any people in them, let alone fill them, um, and that costs a lot of money. Whereas we'll have to see what human behavior is like. You know, certainly when restrictions ease, people are often traveling and going on vacation. I feel like half the country's in Banff. Um, you know, or, or, or else for Banff. Yeah, it's great. It's great for Banff. Um, but will that translate, you know, into, um, return to work? Like are people going back to the office towers five days a week? Um, are they going out to restaurants and patios like they used to? Are they going to social events like they used to? Are they wanting to go back into stores to get their hands, I guess, bad example in cannabis, but, you know, to get their hands on products before they buy it. Um, and we'll have to see. I think people are different and there's a lot of people that are excited to do that. But I for sure think it's it's having an impact and it's going to have an impact. Just how broadly and where I think is a little bit remains to be seen. Yeah. Chris, I saw you nodding, especially on the square footage part. Talk a little about how this has changed, even the sort of current dynamics of retailers as they think about their current and future business plans. 
Yeah, I think like when we look back a year or two years ago, decisions that were made were made under very different circumstances than what we face today. Like outside of cannabis, we've had a lot of shifts in terms of culturally how we're operating as, as people in Canada. Um, one of the things that I think about a lot is how do, are we planning stores to be dynamic um, and to be able to respond to shifts? And one of those, and I think a growing importance has been in, in how stores are showing up, not just physically, but also online, how those two are connected to each other. Originally, like in traditional sense, a brick and mortar store is as much about a physical experience for a customer as it is, as it is an avenue for marketing and advertising. Um, the same is true for online um, and delivery kind of adds an, an additional push into those relationships. So thinking about where those are connected and what importance that plays. Um, you can find opportunities in brick and mortar and physical spaces in the same way that you can find them online. We just need to know what we're looking for and be able to plan for where things could go and give and leave the most doors open. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you a final question that we're, we're asking everybody, everybody today, and you can choose which slice you want from this. Uh, but we're talking about Canadian cannabis. What's next from your perspective, as it relates to Canadian cannabis consolidation or some other aspect. Uh, Krista, what do you think is next? Um, acquisition for brand voice. Um, I think that there was a lot of acquisition at the beginning in, in provinces to be able to gain space and to um, really create a physical footprint. I think more specific acquisition around where there are gaps in their own offering and how we can consolidate some of that information will be really interesting. Um, there's also intellectual property being built into these organizations. And so maybe those first mergers and acquisitions were about physical space. Now, is there an opportunity to start to think about intellectual property as we move forward? I think so. Um, so, businesses have very different operating structures today than when the first stores opened. So I think for me, when I look forward, that's, that's a big part of what's to come. Thank you, Matt. Same question. Canadian cannabis, what's next from this sort of slice? From the, from the retail slice. Yeah, I, I think um, I agree with everything that Krista said. And I, I think it's interesting because um, Krista said, you know, when these leases were signed, it was under very different circumstances. And I feel that we've moved from sort of like, got to get to market, got to get a space, got to get open to how do we do this better? You know, how can our loyalty program work? You know, now there's an AGCO consult about inducements with LPs, but also to, to a lesser extent with customers. And, you know, it was all smell jars and, and eye tablets um, and by and large. Um, but, you know, retailers are now constantly thinking the shift has been, how do we get open to, okay, we're open. How do we grow the basket size? How do we create more engagement? And so I think we're going to see more development and more differentiation within each store to sort of start distinguishing themselves amongst each other. And, you know, I do think there'll be acquisitions. I think you'll see stores closing as well. I don't know exactly when that'll happen, but um, I think we're going to see the retail model evolve um, from where it's been so far. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm sure there will be an MBA case study about um, was it the market dynamics and sort of the ramp up? Was it, um, you know, this very difficult or year and a half of like COVID uh, ramifications or some combination of both or whatever? Um, 
we'll come back next year and talk about that uh, during this event. But but Matt and Krista, thank you for your expertise. Uh, thank you for spending time. We look forward to connecting with you in some cases later today. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jake. Okay.